Hi, this is Kelly. And this is Jenna. You're listening to ODFM. This episode is one double D for murder. So, so we should start today's episode by saying there's a little warning that some of today's topic is a little graphic. Tried to not delve into that, but just, just a warning for listeners, especially not good for kids today. Let's not uh, this story I, I decided to tell because it comes from a friend of mine who, as a young man, once tried to take a girl to a seedy motel, mm. you know, for <laughs> a little nooky nooky. He, he didn't, he, you know, he didn't elaborate and I didn't ask. So, <laughs> so he takes this girl to a motel in Villa Park, Illinois, called the Brer Rabbit Motel. Oh, does it have, oh, the coin-operated vibrating beds? <laughs> You're making me think of um, vacation. Yes. <laughs> right? Oh, my I can't God. get it to turn off. I, right. I don't, I don't know if it has that, Ew. but here's Rare a fun Rabbit. fact. Rare okay. Rabbit is a character in the Disney movie Song of the South. Okay. And it's actually featured in the, the Disney World ride Splash Mountain. Like, that's... Uh, right? So, okay. okay. And then here's another little fun fact that you will like. When we both worked at that agency in Oak Brook Terrace, yes. Villa Park is actually the suburb just north of there. And okay, I looked yes. it up. This hotel, motel, it's really a motel, is five miles away from where we worked. Damn it. We need to do an episode there. <laughs> oh, my God. We could totally... <laughs> <laughs> Tarps everywhere. <laughs> So I did see there was like, um, where do, when I was looking up research, someone from, I think it was from a different podcast where they were talking about like dark things where they spent a night at the motel, like to see if they, I, I don't know, it was. <laughs> to see if they got shanked. <laughs> I think it was to see if there were ghosts. <laughs> yeah, I want to see if I get shanked in the middle of the night. By anyway, so my friend did not end up getting a room at the motel because they didn't believe he was over 18. <laughs> <laughs> he had that wispy bun. Right, okay. But fast forward many years later, and he's reading a true crime book that mentions the Br'er Rabbit Motel uh, in Villa Park, Illinois, in connection to a series of horrific murders from the early 80s committed by the Chicago Ripper crew. There's a crew, not just one. There's a crew. Okay, so... It sounds you know, like a rap band. <laughs> Chicago Rippers. I promise you, they are not a rap band. <laughs> I promise you. And I, I guess I had like a vague knowledge of this, but I, yeah, I did not know about some of this stuff. And my husband actually vaguely remembers some of this being on the news. Wow. Okay. So, although he's older than me, so he was probably watching the news, whereas I was watching Care Bears. But let me start by saying, I, there is a lot of information on this and I researched a lot of different places, news articles, um, Murderpedia. I watched a documentary. There's a book Ooh. on it. The problem is, is that there was so much information and none of it lined up. Like <laughs> they all had different information. They all had, I, I mean, that. there was yes. like a basic same story, but in the mm -hmm. other ones, the other crimes that I have researched, I have not had this much differing information. Wow. Like, I mean, to the point where it was like, I was trying to make sure that when I was looking at a victim that I was referencing the right victim. Wow. because the dates were not the same. 
or like one, they like it, her age ranged from 18 to 26. And I was like, whoa. Holy cow. So I'm like, am I, am I looking at the right one? Like it was really confusing. Mm. Is it people that, you know, often like hookers, those type of people aren't looked at? Right. Yeah. So, so, so there's that. But one of the documentaries I watched had actually like the, the state's attorney that prosecuted them and one of the detectives. But even in that, there was a part of the documentary where they said one thing and then when they, they went to like a commercial, but I was watching it where there's no commercial. So there was no pause for me. Um, they said one thing and then they came back from commercial and they worded it differently. One, she went willingly and one, she was mm. abducted. And I'm like, are you guys editing your own stuff? Like, yeah. <laughs> Super so, confusing. So, okay. so, I, so up front, I want to say, I did the best I could to use information where I could find more than one source. Um, and I tried to break it down as best I could. It's still, even if I don't have dates and ages right, it's still a ridiculous, crazy story. Here we go. Ready? I'm ready. Thanks. This starts, our story begins on, on June 1st, 1981, where Hank McGinnis, the manager of the Bray Rabbit Motel in Villa Park, gets a complaint from one of his employees about a horrible smell. Red flag. Yeah, I was just going to say, horrible <laughs> smell, red flag. Oh. Right. On investigating, he discovers a decomposing body in a field next to the motel. Oh. And he calls the police. At least it's in the field and not in the motel. But still. This is, this is true. So police find a woman's body face down, hands cuffed behind her back, oh. and the key is broken off in the cuffs. Yes. She has been uh, sexually assaulted and mutilated. Both of her breasts have been cut off. Mm, right? Did you did you did you feel that? Because yeah. when I read that, I I felt it. I'm a little, <laughs> I was like, what? Oh right? my god! <laughs> At the scene, they estimated that she'd been left there in the field for weeks because her body was so badly decomposed. Oh. However, the autopsy found that she'd only been dead for a few days, but her body had been found in an advanced state of decomposition. They believe because of how it had been mutilated oh it allowed for yeah more bacteria and all that fun stuff to all that yeah i'm getting the heebie-jeebies okay so anyways they identify her as 26 year old linda sutton linda has two children ages nine and one she had been abducted a week earlier near wrigley field in the city which home Mm. of the chicago cubs little yeah another Fun shout out, right? Yeah, little shout out. Yeah, May 15th, 1982, almost an entire year later, Lorraine Borowski, 21, she went by the name Lori. She heads into the real estate office in Elmhurst to open up for the day. She works at a real estate office. Side note, Kelly, Elmhurst is one town east of Villa Park, just north of Uh, Oak Park Terrace where we work. So again, very close. Yeah. Lori is abducted right outside the office as she's uh, trying to open up. She is lifted right out of her shoes. <gasps> Why? Um, they found her shoes on the curb right in front, <gasps> along with some of her cosmetics and her keys. Oh my God. That gave me the chills. Can you imagine coming right? across that and being like, what the hell happened? Aliens. I, I will. Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> It's a possibility we have to write it in the report. Yes. I will say, I have lots of pictures from this. I found tons of pictures. Oh, good. There is a picture of her shoes. I will say, it wasn't like she had gym shoes on where they were like tied on. They were right. like, like flat, slip on heel things. Okay. Like the kind of thing that I would fall out of 
without anyone lifting me. Like, <laughs> regular just, basis. <laughs> you know, so okay. it's they, not like... They easily slip off. Okay. <laughs> yes. Got it. Five months later, on October 10th, 1982, a teenager finds Lori's body badly decomposed and mutilated in an alley at Clarendon Hill Cemetery, which is about 12 miles south of where she was taken. Her left breast was cut off, and she had been stabbed several times. Jesus. But they only took one this time. There, there seems to be an affinity for the left one, and I don't... What just happened? I don't know. Something fell behind me. Which is <laughs> <laughs> so if you see anything coming to kill me, let me know. On May 29th, 1982, two weeks after Lori was abducted, 30-year-old Shuey Mack disappears from nearby Hanover Park, which is several towns northwest. She and her brother were driving home from the family's restaurant where they worked. It was 1.30 in the morning. They got into an argument in the car and unclear whether Shuey either got out of the car because she was mad or her brother ordered her out. Oh. Either way, 1.30 in the morning, she begins yeah. walking home. He drives off. <gasps> she never arrives feel, home. Oh, he has to feel so bad. Oh, oh my, my God. God, right? You just, mm, yeah, Shui, no, no, how no. Do you... So her name is S-H-U-I, but I, I watched the documentary pronounced it for me. Thank goodness. I'm glad yeah. I watched the documentary because there were quite a few names in here that I couldn't pronounce. Yeah, I was, like, I was totally helpful. like, Shui. Okay. Shui, yeah. Got it. Shui. So Shuey's body was discovered about four months later on September 30th on a construction site in South Barrington, about eight miles north from where she'd last been seen. So they're they're getting around mm -hmm. the birds, yeah. okay? Oh my God. Um, and I'm familiar with all these places. <laughs> when she was found, the back of her skull was crushed. <gasps> she had a cracked tooth. Her body also very badly decomposed, but she still had some of her clothing and a necklace on. And her boobs. Uh, no, I'm pretty sure everybody was missing at least one. Uh, right? They, they should have called them something breast-related. The Chicago the breast booby takers? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what are you supposed to call takers. <laughs> I think they called them the Chicago Ripper Crew because at first they were saying it was like Jack the Ripper, mm -hmm. and they thought it was one guy, and now... And now I have a cat at the door again, meowing. I heard that because um, mine was doing that earlier too, so I'm sure he's in the background. Because because yeah, you know, yeah. It's, we're all we're all we about closed the professionalism door. here. Yes, <laughs> yeah, we, we closed the door. We closed the door. We entered a room and closed the door. So obviously, means, yeah, like go meow. Let's get back to this fun stuff. All right, so Chicago two weeks removers. after shooting, what'd you say? Chicago breast removers. I'm still thinking that sounds a good like they're a them. really bad, like, like a, yeah, surgical mastectomy place. Like, <laughs> sounds like a really poor name for a god. Right. Uh, okay. I keep thinking. So, two weeks after Shuey was abducted, a prostitute who went by the name of Angel York, mm -hmm. which is a pretty good, that's a pretty, pretty good, good prostitute. Mm -hmm. yeah. It almost sounds like she could be Star Trekky and oh, angelic like at it. the same time. Mm -hmm. Okay, maybe she was going for the nerd. <laughs> the base, the, the client-based? Yes, the client-based, right, exactly. She had been working on the near north side of Chicago when police came by sweeping the area for prostitutes. Mm -hmm. So a prospective John offered her a ride in his red van, and so she took it, thinking, hey, this is a, this is a good move, right? Yeah. I'm, this is my safer choice. Was Ooh. not the safer choice. Now a van. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He became violent and drove her to a deserted building, which... 
Oh, it's never a good thing, right? No. So Angel, who was actually 18-year-old Holly Clemens. Oh, that's was, so much cuter. Go by right? Holly. Yeah. I agree. Okay. I agree. I, Angel anyway. York. I mean, oh. yeah. yeah. She was ordered to undress. Warning right here. This is a hard one. She was ordered to undress and to cut a hole into the side of her own breast with a knife. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Thanks. No, thanks. At, right? I mean, I, the idea of having a nipple pierced, just, oh, <laughs> yeah. I can't, you know, that so even I sounds awful. Yeah. <sighs> okay, this gets worse. Her attacker then enlarges the hole with his fingers uh. and the knife so he can fit his penis in the <gasps> hole. What the? What? Oh, oh God, yeah. Dude. And he proceeds to have sex <sighs> with her boob. I no. can't. There's I, a, I know. And there's a different way you can do that. There's <laughs> way there's less so intrusive. Many, oh, my God. There are so many other options. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. <sighs> Afterwards, he puts duct tape over her breast. <laughs> Thanks. That doesn't fix everything, MacGyver. Right. Right, exactly. Duct tape doesn't actually solve Uh, everything. No. Okay. He puts duct tape over her breast and leaves her in an alley. Fortunately, she was discovered just a few minutes later, taken to a hospital, so she survived. Wow. Wow. Right? What was different about her that he let her live? You know what? I'm not really sure. So she survives the attack describes her attacker and the red van to police, but they don't come up with any leads. Of course. I know. I'm still, I I have to take another drink because that was really two months later in August, the body of 18 year old Sandra Delaware is found under the Fullerton Avenue bridge on the North branch of the Chicago river. She has been raped, stabbed and strangled. Her hands are tied behind her back and her left breast has been severed. Totally leaving a calling card. Where are (sighs) these breaths going? Oh, I will tell you. Oh, God. Okay. (laughs) I will tell you. I thought, yeah. Uh, September 8th, 1982. The body of Rose Beck Davis, a 30-year-old marketing executive, is found in an alley near Lakeshore Drive in the Gold Coast area of Chicago. So, like, we're talking all over the place, yeah. right? We're not, Holy they're not cow. limiting their cell. I mean, there's like nice neighborhoods, yeah. not so nice neighborhoods, city mm-hmm. motels everywhere. She has also been slashed and assaulted with the handle of an ax. And oh God, I have a problem with this one. The medical examiner found pieces of wood, probably from the handle of the ax, still inside her. Oh my God, like splinters. Uh huh. Oh God. And I'll just let you assume which Uh orifice, because I can't. So then, about a month later, on October 6th, 1982, an old man finds 20 year old Beverly Washington in a pile of garbage along railroad tracks in Humboldt Park. She had been left for dead with her left breast sliced off and the other one severely slashed. She was still breathing. They got her to the hospital. She was stable in the hospital, but she's still unable to speak. However, she communicated with police by blinking and writing on a pad of paper. Wow. Right? Oh my gosh. Awesome. She is able to tell detectives that she had been working as a prostitute and was picked up by a white man 
about 25 years old with a mustache and greasy brown hair. I said the mustache, called it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, see? Yep. Mustache, greasy brown hair, mm. red flags. Van. You know, yeah. van, right? Mm-hmm. She tells them he was driving a red van with tinted windows. There were blue and white feathers dangling from the rearview mirror. He drove them to a deserted location and ordered her into the back of the van that had a wooden partition so you couldn't see what was in the back. When she got back there, there were no windows. There were wooden shelves lining either side okay. of the van. I don't know. Yeah. Weird. He, I'm, I'm going to try to put this politely. He threatens her, assaults her, then forces her to swallow a handful of pills. She loses consciousness, and when she woke up, her breast had been sliced off. Thank God she wasn't awake for that. Right? Right? Oh, my gosh. A few weeks later, somewhere between 10 days and three weeks, because, again, the the information I was getting was all over the place. Police stopped the motorist of a 1975 reddish-orange Dodge van that matches the description. The driver, Edward Spritzer, 21, does not match the description of Beverly's attacker, though. Yeah, but he young. tells police that the van actually belongs to his boss oh. named Robert Gecht, who is 28, and he's a carpenter electrician, and he does match the description. So police go, they pick up Gecht, and then while Beverly is still hooked up to tubes and IVs in the hospital, she picks him out of a lineup that they conducted right there in the hospital. <sighs> Oh, my God. In the hospital? Like, here, Mm -hmm. we're going to stand this guy in front of you. I know. I thought that was kind of weird. It was like I was both impressed and horrified at the same time. If you haven't checked out Thistle lately and you love Halloween as much as we do, you are missing out. I love the vintage-style devil mug, especially when paired with the exclusive Thistle Blend coffee. I'm partial to the decor that can go inside or out like the witch in the cauldron sign that says, come in, my pretties. Yes, so cute. And the pastel handcrafted skulls that I would and totally do display at my house all year round. Oh, yes, for sure. And I feel like I need that zombie horse mask to make sure that people are following social distancing rules. I would definitely stay away from anyone wearing that. Absolutely. Well, you can get all the things for 10% off on thistlewellington.com by using code ODFM at checkout. I'll be shopping right after we're done with this story. Back to my story. Beverly Washington has picked Robin Gecht out of a lineup, right? Police start questioning him and he doesn't reveal very much. But Edward Spritzer, the guy who had been driving the van, He was a fountain of disgusting details. He shared how he and his boss had been driving around looking for ways to amuse themselves in the hours before they assaulted Beverly. He just flat out admits it, right? So first, they shot at three men on a Chicago street corner from the van as they drove past. 28-year-old Rafael Torado was actually fatally shot and his friend was wounded while they were standing at a phone booth. Oh, my God. That was just to kill time. Just for fun. Kill time. Yes, see what you did Ooh, there. Oh, that was bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Then they picked up a prostitute, which turned out to be Beverly Washington. Okay. Drugged her, sliced off her breast with piano wire. That's oh how they did it. And then uh, performed unspeakable acts and then left her for dead on a trash heap. Spritzer, he just 
apparently like to talk. So he goes ahead and tells the police about other killings, connecting him, Geicht, and two other people to a string of unsolved cases. Oh my God. The two other people are the Cora Corrales brothers, Andrew, who's 20, and Thomas, 22. So we have a 28-year-old, a 21-year-old, a 20-year-old, and a 22-year-old. Yes. I mm-hmm. was like, can I have a beer at that age? It wasn't like... <laughs> so not, right? I mean... Oh, my God. Wow. So these four men would drive around in Gecht's van looking for women who were alone to sacrifice mm-hmm. in their satanic rituals. Oh. Age and race, obviously, did not matter. They right. were equal Guys, opportunity. They were equal opportunity. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, you know, at least they, I guess they had that going for them. It yeah. was, you know. Police learned that the four men had once rented adjoining rooms at the Brer Rabbit Motel in Villa Park oh. in the months before Linda Sutton was murdered. She was the one that was found behind the motel. Okay. The manager remembered them as party animals. <laughs> who often, right, right, party animals. <laughs> they would often bring women back to their rooms, and he believed them to be in some kind of cult, possibly devil worshippers. Mm. But that here's was a nifty little. at the time. It, all the it was. Satanic cults and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, it, re- it really was. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the articles I said was <laughs> they got into the fad. Uh, yes. You want to keep it down while I'm talking? Sorry. Is that cool? Nice <laughs> 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 Oh, anyway, yeah, one of the articles I read was like, you know, that they got into the fad that everybody was into in the 80s. I'm like, I don't know that I would call it a yeah, fad. I don't think it was like everybody <laughs> really wanted to be a part of it. It was just a thing people believed was creating a lot of chaos, which <laughs> exactly, probably really right? wasn't. The cool, I don't know, well, cool thing, but <laughs> the, the nifty thing was, is when they moved out, the Cora Corrales brothers actually left a forwarding address for their mail. <laughs> so they were pretty darn easy to track down. Geniuses. Okay. I know, right? They were able to find the brothers without a problem. When they questioned the younger brother, Andrew, and they told him that Spritzer had told them about the murdered women, his response was, all 18 of them? Oh. <laughs> also, oh. by the way, evil genius. Way to go, man. Way yeah. to just <laughs> you could have gotten away with maybe two or three, but you you Ooh, you should okay. probably have a lawyer. I'm just saying. <laughs> so, a lawyer now. Good God. Police then picked up the older brother, Thomas, at home. He failed a polygraph test and admitted to a ritual that they performed where they, oh, here we go, where they sliced off women's breasts with a piano wire Ugh. while they were alive and most of the time conscious. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. They would then take turns uh, having sex, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. with the severed breast oh. and also into the open wound of the victim. What the fuck? Ugh. Oh my God, right? Ugh. All while Gecht was reciting passages from the Satanic Bible. Then, then, they would quote, take communion by eating a piece of the breast. Sorry, I should have told you there was a vomit warning. Um, Before putting it into Gecht's trophy box. At one point, Thomas was aware that there were 15 breasts in the box. So, Kelly, you had to ask what happened to the breasts. I did kind of wonder what they did. I was thinking maybe they're in a box. 
Oh. I, I mean, I think that's right up there with um, the movie Seven, What's in the Box. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Thomas told police that some of this happened at the Br'er Rabbit Motel. So mm-hmm. that would probably be why that, that yeah. one podcast or whatever film crew was there mm-hmm. seeing if there was any ghosts or spirits. Ghosts. And some of it took place at the Satanic Chapel in the attic of the house that Robin Gecht shared with his wife and three children when they weren't home. Oh, my God. Yes, he was married with a family. Mm-mm-mm. While they were looking into Geig's past and everything, police discovered more disturbing information. <laughs> like, we could have more. Yeah, what else? Okay, there were accusations of him molesting his sister when he was younger. Oh, God. And okay. here we go. At one point, he had been a contractor for John Wayne Gacy. <gasps> what? Yes, right? Oh. What are the odds that these two completely oh. insane individuals work together? Oh so my God. here's Sorry. So here's a fun fact. He may have been an accomplice of Gacy's because there are rumors that Gacy had help, but they haven't been able to prove it. But apparently some of the timings of either the murders or the boys disappearing correlated with times that John wasn't even around or in the area. Wow. So they haven't been able to figure that out, but they they figure he had some kind of help somehow, somewhere, wow. whether or not people who helped them realize they were mm-hmm. helping him or not. I don't what know. They were doing. Police searched Geik's home and found the chapel in the attic along Oof. with the satanic satanic literature and a rifle that matched the one used in the random shooting of Rafael Tirado on the street corner. Geik was arrested for the kidnap, rape, and attempted manslaughter of Beverly Washington, who was the very last victim that, that okay. survived. But after that, many women came forward with their own horror story of experiences they'd had with him. They included torture and breast mutilation with needles and knives. Jesus. Some asked him, some some say that he asked them to cut off their own nipples because he wanted to see how they worked. What the, what? Oh my God. I do, you know, cut off your own, you've got them too. <laughs> Hey, that is an yeah. excellent point. You know, well, like what? they don't have them. Yeah, hey, exactly. Yours work too. Let's, yeah. you know, seriously. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Kelly's going to vomit <laughs> mid podcast. <sighs> okay. Heavy breathing. Okay. While talking to police, Spritzer, the one who just can't stop talking, oh, okay. he even claimed that Guy once became so furious with his wife that he cut off her nipples. Oh. Mm -hmm. And then here is a quote from Spritzer. He said, and some of this is not correct English, so I'm just going to, but I'm just going to word for word. He stated, quote, a black female was picked up, blindfolded and gagged. Robin shoot her point blank in the head, put chains around her neck and legs, attached two bowling balls and threw her in the water. I understand her body was never found. That was the quote. So yeah, so there's, there's more. There's more people oh. that they don't even know about. Robin Gecht, Edward Spritzer, and brothers Andrew and Thomas Cocorialis became known as the Chicago Ripper Crew, and they are believed to be responsible for at least 18 tortured and mutilated and murdered women in the Chicago and its suburbs. Oh right? And all of this, at least all of this part of it, took place between 1981 and 1982, 
a year and a handful of months. Wow. I don't know what they had been doing before that or whatever, but yeah. my story right here, I mean, this is a lot in a very short period yeah. of time. So Edward Spritzer and Andrew Cocorialis confessed to up to 17 murders. Thomas Cocorialis confessed to being present during three of them. All said that Gecht was in charge and that they followed his lead. Robin Gecht, however, claims he's totally innocent. Mm, This is because he's the leader. He's the leader. Despite powerful witness testimony, there was no hard evidence against him to prove he was guilty of anything except for attempted manslaughter of Beverly Washington. So the kidnapping and rape charges were dropped. There's a couple surprises coming for you. Oh, shit. (laughs) I don't know if I can handle any more. I know. This is They cut off their own nipples. (laughs) See, that would have been... I mean, if you're going to research, maybe you should research on yourself first. So It's not like there weren't medical books and things. I mean, there was a way to look this stuff up. Very true. Now we are at September 29th, 1983. Robin Geicht is convicted in Cook County... He is sentenced to 120 years in prison. Of the four men, he is the only one not convicted of murder. Because remember, he claimed he was innocent, and they couldn't get any hard proof, but he still got 120 years. I find it very weird when you listen to all these, the ranges on the convictions is odd, I find. Yeah, it always happens to be with, like, whose lawyer was good and and what juries... Exactly. Yeah. It was very weird. Geicht has done several interviews since being convicted, and I copied some of them because I figured I had to read them word for word because you can't make this shit up. (laughs) So uh, one interviewer was asking him about the um, mutilation of the breasts and what was going on with that, and this is Robin Geicht's words. Well, in answer to your question on obsession with the breast... It is a thing with my entire family going back, as I'm told, to my great-grandfather. Each of us men have married large-breasted women. My ex-wife is a 39D, and yes, she was very satisfying to me. Oh, oh God. Okay. Mm -hmm. He also said, as to your question about having sex with the breast, I have no real obsession with the with breast in that form, only a very sick person would even think of that. What? No shit, man. No shit. What the hell? Then why were you doing it? I, <laughs> then he was quoted another time saying, I don't only face the injustices, but the nightmares that follow. You have no idea the pain and hurt I face and feel every single day I sit here and lose hope. Wow. I, I am not an angel, but I never intentionally hurt anyone unless it was to protect myself or my family. What? I could never live with killing or knowing I was responsible for taking one's life. Call this him guy's, bullshit. His rectum. <laughs> I, it's kind of like, you, like you Sorry, now I'm like, wrecked him, Jim. Damn near killed him. Yeah, okay. Wrecked him, damn near killed him. That's a bad gash. His projected parole date is 2042. Good. His family, even his wife, believes he is 100% innocent and looks forward to his parole. Mm. Oh, that woman. I don't know, man. I yeah. um, Brainwashing. They found the chapel in 
the attic. I mean, how do you... Yeah. Well, no, he didn't hurt anybody. He just worshipped Satan. Yeah. How do you justify that in your head? I just... She's you know, like, I, I I don't get angry at anyone's choice of religion. I'm okay with everything. <laughs> right. I and, you know, I uh, just feel like there are certain things that can be overlooked. I know that back in the day, you witnessed me date some people who made questionable choices that I chose to Yeah, you ignored. Ignore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. But none of them were (laughs) No. And you came to your senses eventually. I did. I did eventually come to my senses. It just and it was just a matter of time. And they weren't mutilators. No. Mutilators. No. Cheaters. That happened. I would have been like, okay, I'm locking you up. You do not get to go. Lock lock me in my room. Exactly. Mm -hmm. May 18th, 1984. A DuPage County jury convicts Thomas Cocorealis of killing Lori Borowski. That was the girl who worked at the real estate office. The judge sentences him to life in prison. March 4th, 1986. I feel like this is like really getting spread out. Now we're in 1986. Spritzer is finally convicted in DuPage County of Linda Sutton's murder. She's the one who was behind the the Briar Rabbit Motel. And he's sentenced to death. He had already pleaded guilty to four other murders. So he already pled guilty. They find him guilty of the other ones. So he is sentenced to death. In November of that year, several months later, um, because of legal errors, a state appellate court reverses Thomas Cocorealis' guilty conviction Mm -hmm. and orders a new trial. So July of the next year. So now we're already in 1987. Jeez, okay. he decides to just plead guilty to Lori Borowski's murder in exchange for a 70-year sentence. I don't know. I'd probably be like, okay, just kill me. Oh. So the 70-year okay. sentence means that under, uh, under the current sentencing guidelines in Illinois at the time means he's eligible for day-for-day credit for good behavior. Okay. So for every day of good behavior, he gets a knocked off his sentence. What? That's terrible. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. Oh, my God. And prosecutors agree to drop charges related to Linda Sutton's murder as a part of the plea deal. Ugh. Now we fast forward to March 17th, 1999. The youngest member of the crew, Andrew Cocorealis, who at the time is 35, is executed by chemical oh. injection. Wow. Fun fact, because you know I'm throwing the fun facts in here. Yeah. He is the last inmate to be executed in Illinois. Wow. Mm -hmm. So he's he's got that little uh, yeah trophy participation (laughs) ribbon. Participation (laughs) ribbon. Oh God. Okay. Oh, that could be a good. So in January, January 11th of 2003. Jeez. Oh, this keeps going, right? Way in far one forward. Of, okay. So, in one of his final acts in office, um, the then governor George Ryan cleared out Illinois' death row, commuting to life terms the sentences of all of the state's condemned inmates, including Edward Spritzer. Wow. Okay. So now he's he went from the death penalty to now he's serving a life prison term without the possibility of parole. Well, that's good, at least. So we got that going for us. 
So now we go to March 29th of 2019. That is like- Oh my God, last year. Yeah, so that's last year. As part of the deal from 1987, Thomas Cocorealis, who is, as of last year, 58 years old, is released from prison, having served only half of his sentence for good behavior. That whole day for a day bullshit. What? Oh Mm -hmm. my God. He has to register as a sex offender for the rest of his life. Obvi, yeah. And he will also be listed on the Illinois State Police Murder Registry. Another participation ribbon situation here. Here, Here's what's awesome, Kelly, and I can't tell you, I, I can't tell you how excited I was to hear this. He now resides at the Wayside Cross Ministries in Aurora, Illinois, where I live, and is taking part in their recovery program for troubled men. I feel like that is putting it so lightly. (laughs) Like, like, no, you didn't just have an affair or just have a drug problem or just... Yeah, he's troubled. Yeah. So I looked it up. This this place is four miles from my house. Oh, fun. Fun, right? It's, um... Volunteering is great. You should go volunteering. (laughs) Oh my God. We go it is, it's down the street from Hollywood Casino. Do you remember the casino? Yeah. 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 It's like oh two blocks away. Oh, it's like two fucking blocks away, right? <laughs> no. So when interviewed, the mayor of Aurora, Richard Irvin, said that he was blindsided to find out that that's where he was going and living and that it's a risk that the city should not have to take. Or the people that live there. Yeah. Right? And... I don't know what exactly the parameters are for distances from schools and parks mm-hmm. and stuff, mm-hmm. but there are schools and parks mm-hmm. in that area. So whatever. Mm. And here's <laughs> in June of 2019, a couple months after he was released, mm. CBS Channel 2 News in Chicago, the reporter Irinka Sargent interviewed him and he tells her, quote, everyone thinks I'm a monster. I'm not a monster. Well, um, there you go. He's not a monster. Oh, so, so we're all feeling okay now. Oh, it's fine. Well, no worries. Okay. Well, glad. Oh, I'm glad we. I'm glad we cleared that up. Whew. I was a little worried there for a minute. I'm oh, so glad Jen. we cleared that. Dude, That's... I was already like, oh my god. I know where all these things took place. That's so mm-hmm. crazy. Blah blah blah. Okay, but it was years ago. Blah blah mm-hmm. blah blah blah. The man lives near my house, and he's not that old. Like. 58. No. He'll do quite a lot. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. That was a spicy one. Yeah, don't go <laughs> walking out late at night and maybe wrap your breath, wrap your chest so they look smaller. <laughs> I gotta duck, I can duct tape duct them tape down. Them down. Make them look. <laughs> Ooh, dress like a dude. <laughs> like a dude. <laughs> yeah, that was an eye opener for me. Let's yeah. just say that. That was, um, can we go back to Daryl? Like, yeah, I just want to go back to Daryl. We miss you, Daryl. <laughs> Sources for this episode include Murderpedia.org, Wikipedia.org, The Chicago Tribune, CBS 2 News Chicago, Occult Crimes Season 1, Episode 7, Beasts of Satan, the book Deadly Thrills by J. Slade Fletcher, and the Encyclopedia of Serial Killers by Michael Newton. If you enjoy our podcast, consider sharing it with your friends. We are on Spotify, 
Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also uh, visit our website at odfmpodcast.com. And we are on Instagram and Facebook and now Twitter. Thanks for listening to another episode of ODFM. Hosted by Kelly DeVries and Jenna Swanson. Production and editing by Kelly DeVries. Theme music by Eric Swanson. ODFM is a satirical true crime podcast for entertainment purposes only. The stories you hear are serious and true. The comments and opinions are not. We apologize if any of our content is harmful or disrespectful. If you have a story you'd like to submit for a future episode, please email it to odfmpodcast at gmail.com. Visit us on Facebook and Instagram at odfmpodcast. And check out our website, odfmpodcast.com, for more information on our episodes, your hosts, or general shenanigans.